0: Confirm, copy, create, cancel. We are all about anything we can do to get that message in your mind. If you got hungry, we slipped that in there, too. There's some stuff back there. Popcorn, coffee. <clears throat> Actually, I think that's illegal, isn't it? But that's only if you're selling it. If we're giving it away free, we can do that. Now, um, when you ask these four questions, the confirm, uh, copy, cancel and create questions, here's what's going to happen. It's going to throw your life into this cycle of success. Anybody want to succeed? Okay, three of you. Okay, that's good. I'm glad three successes coming out of new life. Um, But incredibly, here's what happens. We all have the same opportunity to succeed in life. We all have the same opportunity to ask these questions and to apply these answers. But most people resist the cycle of success. And, you know, a logical person would say, why? Any logical people out there? Why? Thank you. Thank you. Okay. so why do people... Um, resist the cycle of success. Here we go. Let's let's look at the three parts. You've got this on your listening guide. And hopefully you'll understand why people resist this cycle. The first part of the cycle is called the change cycle. The change cycle. The only people I've ever known who welcomed change were babies with dirty diapers. <laughs> and some of them weren't so sure. I mean, when when our kids were little, Sometimes they'd go for hours, man, just dragging that stuff around. And I'm thinking, yeah. But but I had one daughter, man, a drop in that diaper. She was freaking out. She was ready to be changed. Now, most people don't want to change. And in fact, you tell me if this is true. How many of you... Oh, wait. I shouldn't even ask that. I'm going to, though, just for fun. How many of you... you don't even raise your hand. Just smile at me. That way you won't get caught. How many of you have a spouse or someone living in the, under the same roof that you are living under that really needs to change. Just smile. Don't lift your hands cuz you're going to get nailed. Yeah. See what happens is we want other people to change. If only they would change, my life would be great. Problem with that is it's a rather selfish attitude. Everyone else change, I don't need to change. So most folks are going to resist this change thing. You know, I don't want to change. If I got to change something, forget it. And here's what here's what that attitude portrays. If I just keep on doing the same thing, I'll get the same results that I've always gotten that I hate about my life. But at least I know what I'm getting when I do this same stuff all the time. So it's familiar and it's comfortable. I would rather do that and get the same things I hate than make a change Because that's unknown. That's uncomfortable. And I don't know if you know people that don't like change, but I know people who do not like change. But wise people ask these questions and they realize that they've got to change. Now, do you know when most people change? Two times that most people change. When they hurt enough, they have to. I've I've talked with folks in jail. I've talked with folks in rehab. And a lot of those folks are willing to change because they have to. They either have to or they're going to spend time in the pen the rest of their lives or they know they're going to wind up in a ditch, they're going to wind up dead. They know they have to change. It's time to change. So folks change when they when they hurt enough they have to or they receive enough that they're able to. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in that category. I'd rather learn stuff and realize, "Oh man, I can change." I've got enough knowledge. I've got enough help that I can change. I'd rather be in that category than the ones that have to change because the government is, is breathing down your neck. So we, we, those are the two folks that are, that are open to change. Now, as soon as you make any changes in your lives, it's going to move you into the second part of the cycle of success. And it's going to be even better than the first part. It's the conflict cycle. How many of you love conflict? Let me see your hands. Let's vote. That's nobody. Okay. Now you begin to understand if if I make changes and it's going to throw me into conflict in some area of my life, I'd just rather not make changes. And, And most people are like that. Conflict is like a four letter word, a curse word to some. Some of you are going conflict. No, it's like a curse word. I didn't say it was four letters. It's like a curse word to some people because my wife will do anything to avoid conflict. She hates it with a passion. She she will take all kinds of um, uh, she will make all the changes she needs to just so that she doesn't have to have conflict with me or anybody else in God's world until the point that she's ready to explode. She internalizes everything. And then one day she's not herself. And I'm like, who took over? And then we have this talk and I'm like, oh, she's been internalizing stuff because she'd rather do that. Than, than have any change or any conflict in their life. God forbid that we should ever ruffle anyone's feathers. So we run around trying to please others instead of doing what God's called, called us to do. And uh, anytime we try to please other people instead of pleasing God, that puts people first in our lives and not God. And it seems like the first of the Ten Commandments said, you shall have no other gods before me. So if I'm trying to please people, I've put them in the number one category. And God says he's supposed to be in the number one category. Anything in the number one category besides God, that's idolatry. And the second commandment of the Ten Commandments says you shall not have any idols in your life. Make no graven image or worship it. So we got to decide, are we going to please God or are we going to please others? And if we're going to please God, there is going to be conflict in our lives. And if you're stuck, I can predict why you're stuck it's because you've not taken steps in one of these first two categories. You may have asked the questions, no, I'm not going to change. Maybe you've started to change, you got a little bit of conflict, and you went back to the way things were. You're like, I'm just not going to do that. But if by some miracle of God, you begin to ask these questions, and you get bogged down, it's because you're in one of these first two stages. You're either in the change stage, or you're in the conflict stage. And here's the really sad truth. If you do not move through the first two stages you will never get to the third stage. You know what the third stage is? Growth. If you don't go through change and if you don't go through conflict, you will never get to the growth stage. If the change needs to happen and if you're asking the right people the right questions so that you get the right answers, then watch this. Conflict, and and I know you've never been told this before. At least my wife hadn't. Conflict will be good conflict. I had to read this book in seminary about caring enough to confront. And, and really, it, it put a whole different perspective on, on conflict, looking at it as a, as a positive rather than a negative, because it, everybody here believes that conflict is a negative connotation, right? Has a negative connotation attached to it. If you look at it in the right way, that it's going to cause growth. If you do it the way Jesus did it, then it can cause growth and then it benefits everyone. Um, so you've got change, conflict, growth. Change, conflict, growth. That's the cycle of success, and the reason most of us aren't succeeding is because we're not in that cycle. All right, now you get to lift your hands. How many of you are married here? Let me see. All right, that's a bunch of us. The rest of you are single. I'm pretty quick. But what what I need to tell you is 90% of all folks will be married at least once in their lifetime. So if you're single, you will probably be married again. So you need to pay attention to what I'm about to tell you. This Josh is up are going, yes, there's hope for me. Um, you're young. You're young. I was 26. So you, you got eight years, man, if you're going to follow in my footsteps. But I just ran from women, so <laughs> it wasn't necessarily a good thing. Yeah, Nathan is following in my footsteps. We've talked about this before. Nathan's like, I'm a lot like you, Doug. Because um, any girl just remotely thinks or looks like she loves him, he's gone. So you got to be careful talking, man. Yeah, yeah, talking about me. Some of you are flat out hurting in your marriage. I know this because I've talked to some of you and and your marriages are just sucking wind. And uh, some of you, I've read the backs of your registration cards. You know, I always have you write something on the back of the card when we finish our services. And I've read the stuff and it breaks my heart. Some of you haven't told anybody, but your countenance shows it. it. It's written on your face for God and everybody else to see. There are problems in your marriage. And and many times, uh, everybody knows it long before you admit it. And some of you are asking, why does my marriage suck? Now, some of you are going, oh, good. I'm off the hook because my marriage isn't that bad. But back when you were in school, where did you want to be when those tests came out? Did you want to be average? Oh, yeah, I'm an average student. Nobody wants to say, nobody wants, ask your wife if she wants to have an average marriage or below average marriage. No, everybody wants to have an above average marriage. So unless you're just willing to say my marriage is the bomb and we don't need to do anything for our marriage to be. But if you if you are one of those people, you need to stand up right now so that we can come and, and learn from your mastery of human relationships and figure out what we need to apply to our lives, what we need to copy and create from your life. But I don't think anybody here is like that. So let's figure out if your marriage isn't a 10 or if, you know, Your future marriage isn't a 10. Can't be yet because you're not there. What could you do in your marriage now to move you from wherever you are to closer to a 10? Look around and you need to ask. We're going to apply this grid, this confirm, this copy, this cancel and create. We're going to we're going to apply that to marriages right now, but you can apply it to any area of life. Um, Look around and say, who is doing something that's having a positive effect on their marriage? Here's what I found looking at my marriage. Um, years ago, back before children, 12 years ago, before children, Caleb turned 12 yesterday. There's one dollar. Ching. Um, he turned 12 yesterday. And um, we look back at our marriage and, and some of the most fun times in our marriage were when we had a date night. It used to be Thursday nights every week. Janie was a teacher. I was working at, at a church and I was also going to seminary at the time. So life was just crazy. But Thursday nights, we wouldn't answer the phone. That was before caller ID. Um, you didn't know you couldn't answer the phone before caller ID, did you? We just wouldn't answer the phone. Sometimes we would go out to eat. Sometimes we would go to uh, Wendy's and go through and get a Frosty. And, 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 oh, it just made me think of one time. Um, we're going up to Wendy's. It's about a mile from our house. And Janie is this type that she's the closet person that eggs people on, you know. She would never do something to make herself look dumb in, in public. But if you want to do it, she'll laugh at you. You know, that type of deal. <laughs> So I was being kind of silly as we we're pulling up to the to the drive-through, and, and I said, I want a frosty, and she goes, I dare you to order like that, and I said, okay, cause like it doesn't matter to me, and then I said, okay, I'm gonna say I want huh, honk, honk two frosties, and she goes, no, you got to do that, honk the horn and and do that. So I'm like, okay, so we pull up to the thing, and I said, I want honk honk frosties, and they're like, what? And I said, count honk honk. And she's over here falling out of the car laughing, you know, they're thinking we're nuts. And I'm like, baby, anything I can do on date night to pump you up, I'm willing to do that. <laughs> date night was that was just free. That wasn't even I just remember that date night was non-negotiable. And that was some of the most fun we ever had. We started looking at our life and we realized that, you know, with kids, with uh, with gymnastics, with with starting a church, with soccer, with all of these things that are going on. We haven't had time for us. And so last fall, we, st- we started going to ballroom dancing. And there were about four couples, five couples that went with us. It was the most fun that we've had in 12 years. We would go dancing. Even Nathan went dancing. Even our drummer went dancing. And he's going to tell you he was good. He's not. Um <laughs> But see, a lot of guys are like, I can't dance. And I'm like, there is a room full of white guys with no rhythm that can't dance either. So don't worry, you'll fit right in. Dance class wasn't for me, it was for my wife. And we had a blast. And, and we would talk. And, and you know, every time Janie and I have date night, and, and I've made a commitment to Janie and to, to uh, uh, some of the guys in the church to hold me accountable, This we've reinstituted the, the date night. And, uh, and, and for us, we can't always go at night. And so we're going to have once a week, we're going to have a time where we go. Yesterday, we went and and, and had coffee. And every time that I, and I told Janie this a couple of weeks ago, I said, we got to reinstitute it. And I said, I want to take you at least once a week. I want to take you to get coffee. Just two of us. She goes, really? Me? I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Every time I take her out, you know what I discover? I like her. (laughs) Because after 16 years, you just start doing life and you just start existing and it's not any fun anymore. And you just try to make it through the day and hit the pillow and then get up the next day and do it again. That's no fun. I discover my wife is smart. She laughs at my jokes. It's part of why I married her. There were actually women that, that I thought about marrying. They didn't get it. I'd say something like, huh? Oh, and I'm like, OK, we got to go. You know. Let's just go home. This is done. She's beautiful. She's a great kisser. And some of you need to be reminded that your spouse is a great kisser. For something other than sex. Oh, I know some of you are having a hard time now because we brought the sex word up. But Anyway, when I date my wife, we have a great time. And I guarantee she will change her schedule. <laughs> Whatever. I, Baby, I want to take you out. Okay, you just name the time and place. And we go out and we have a date. So, what more could a guy want? You know, my wife is beautiful. She laughs at my jokes. She's a great kisser. I'm, I'm happy, man. My, my life is going great right now. Now, how many of you have a date night? Let me see your hands. One, two. Okay, this is a serious <laughs> indictment on our church. Okay. Um, you two that have date night, is it something you look forward to or do you dread it? Look forward to it. You, look, you like it. Do your wives, these are two guys in here, but for those who listen on the tape, um, do your wives look forward to it or are they like, oh, i got to go out with him again, you know? They look forward to it. Alex actually told me that when they started doing a Sabbath, he takes off Mondays and they started doing a Sabbath, that at first it was very difficult for Danielle, but now it's like sacred. Golly, it seems like the Bible knows what it's talking about. God knows what he's talking about when you have a Sabbath and it's sacred and their family loves it. So look around and see if you can have a date night and and you don't have to make it up, copy it from somebody else. It's not hard. What you did to get her, you do to keep her. Some of you, it's a long time since you dated your spouse, and that's why there's problems. Maybe you need to go back to dating and treat her like she's special, not like she's a leftover. And then watch what happens in your family. Now, if you choose to create or, or copy or whatever confirm this in your life, you will face conflict. When Alex and Danielle first went through this whole uh, Sabbath thing, he used to drive me nuts because we have our creative team meeting on on Tuesday mornings and sometimes I would need to get a hold of him. They don't answer the phone on Mondays. They won't answer the door. If they see you coming, they'll hide and pretend they're not in there. If you're if they're at Walmart and you see them, they won't even wave at you on Mondays. They take I'm just kidding. <laughs> they take this so seriously that that this is their sacred time and and you know, if you have an emergency and you need the Maldonados, God forbid that it should be on Monday because you're not getting them. But what has happened is they've gone through conflict with their pastor and they're like, just get over it, dude. Plan better. <laughs> Call on, talk to us on Sunday when you see us. They've gone through some conflict with family members. But guess what's happened to their family? It's drawn closer. They've grown. If you want to grow in your marriage or in your business or whatever it is, you're going to have to ask some tough questions, do some tough things, go through conflict so that you can grow. And that's where you want to be. They saw they needed a change, so they endured the conflict from others. Because let's be real honest, if you do not choose how to run your life, there are people lined up at your door who will gladly run your life for you. Hello? You ever figure that out? If you haven't, take that with you today. That one's free. The result, their marriage has grown. Change, conflict, growth. And now this is a sacred time for their family. And ask their kids. They're young. Sarah will just say whatever. Um, But she'll be up here in a minute. She probably won't say a whole lot. But ask Joe if he likes Mondays. He's four. He loves Mondays because he gets mom and dad undivided attention. He thinks that's normal. And it should be normal for people who follow God. Now I really want to raise the bar today and, and challenge you all to make some changes. So I'm going I'm to apply a scripture right now that, that I hope it just pierces you to the heart. James four seventeen. Remember, it is a sin to know what you ought to do and not do it. Knowing the right thing is not enough. Doing the right thing is what separates the mature from the immature. <laughs> so you got a, a decision to make right now. You can leave today and just say, oh, that's bunk. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Or you can ask some tough questions and you can move on to, toward maturity in your life. When it comes to your family, your marriage and your family, it's not the thought that counts. Caleb's going to get another dollar because yesterday was his birthday. And we have this thing at our house where when you get up on your birthday, you are showered with gifts. You get to have the special plate on that day and whatever you want to eat that day, you get to choose it. Well, we had a surprise for him last night. We didn't tell him that. So he gets up yesterday and he gets three presents. One present is a pair of blue jeans. One present is a shirt. And then he got something from his sisters. Now, if you're 12, is that a good birthday? That stinks. I knew what was coming later. Janie knew. She said, you've got to get me out of the house. Part of why we had a date yesterday, she said, because I can't stand to see him in this agony. We knew what was going to come last night. Had this celebration where all of these men came and, and poured value into his life. And, and when we got home, we gave him another present. and He got all of this stuff and it was, it was such a shocking experience. He said, I couldn't sleep, Dad. He said, all those men showed up for me. Said, that was awesome. Um... <laughs> Knowing the right thing, I mean, this, this whole idea, it's the idea that counts, it's the thought that counts, doesn't work. Because we're like, oh, well, we love you. It's a special day. You're 12. Woo-hoo. And Janie, she was just laying it on thick because she's like, yay, I'm fixing your meal. Isn't that great? He's like, I got blue jeans, you know. And... Uh, <laughs> It is not the thought that counts. If if someone tells you that, they are too stinking lazy to get off their rear and go do something special for you. So, ladies, if your guy ever pulls that, tell them that you have authority from your pastor and from God to take a two-by-four and nail them upside the head with it. <laughs> because they are screwing up your marriage because they're too lazy to do anything about it. Now, I know I'm putting the pressure on myself, too, because I'm getting recorded here. And some of y'all are going to mail it to me anonymously. Um, I don't read anonymous letters, so you're going to have to sign it if you want me to read it, but you can remind me of this. So ladies, just smack him. Every time Janie and I have gone through this process and we've asked things about our marriage and, and we've, we've made changes, we've grown. Every time this church has done that, and, and in fact, part of this whole deal going on a, uh, uh, to a conference this last week, we've been asking tough questions and we're going to come back and we're going to make some changes and some of you are going to say, I don't like the changes. And we're going to say, so what? We're trying to get better. Try it. Just try it. It might work, and you don't have to come back and say we were right. We'll already know that. But if it doesn't work, we'll be the first to tell you we messed up, and then y'all can say, "Yeah, you did." You know, slap high five. We'll agree that we messed up. Growth happens. Now, when you have a date night, you're going to have conflict. Your kids are not going to like it when you first start going on a date night. We were, I was asking our kids about this this morning. I said, "When we do date night, you know, now it's no big deal." They're like, yeah, you're going on a date night. And Rachel said she she was sitting in front of the heater this morning. She goes, "Um, yeah, when you said you're going on a date, I thought they need a date. And so I, I was trying to go back and I was trying to think. And I said, well, did you like it when you were younger and we had, you know, like babysitters and stuff like that? My daughter, she's forgotten. She goes, I like having a babysitter. Dude, when she was younger. We would bring the babysitter in the door. Sometimes we'd have to sneak the babysitter in the house because she would freak out and do the koala bear climb up on your head and not let go, you know. We would sneak in the babysitter and then we'd get her busy and we would sneak out because she was going to whine and cry and complain. But would you rather your kids whine and cry and complain when you go on a date night or when you end up in the divorce court? I would much rather have the conflict there and my kids learn that my wife is more important than them. Because kids will suck the life out of you if you let them. They need to learn, and you and I need to learn, that the spouse is going to be there after the kids leave. That's why there's a whole lot. Do you know the second highest divorce rate is after 20 years of marriage? I firmly believe it's because that's the emptiness syndrome. Parents have been pouring their lives into kids, the kids leave, and the parents are like, who are you? And they end up divorcing. So we've got to figure this out. Now, let's continue. Let's ask this question. I've got a question for you, and we're going to finish up, and then I'll send the parents out that are, that are dedicating their babies. Here's a question I have for you, and it's on your listening guide. Some of you are asking the question right now, God, where are you? Now, that's the uh, simplified version of the question. The longer version is, God, why are you moving so slowly in my life? Ever asked that question? Um, now on your listening guide, you have a blank there and I want you to write down, take just a second and write down wherever it is in your life that God seems to be moving at glacial speed. Could be finances, could be, you know, work, it could be, um, with a child, it could be God, why am I not having children? God, why is this happening? God, why? Whatever it is, whatever in your life that God seems to be moving so slowly, just jot that down real quickly. Why are you so slow to take the hurt away? Why are you so slow to make me mature and successful? Nobody's ever asked that one except me. God, where where are you and why are you so slow to act in my life? Now, I wouldn't dare to try to give you the oversimplified answer, but what I want to do is I want to show you just a couple of scriptures and let's apply this as we finish up. Toward the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, he's hung out with his disciples for three and a half years. He's about to go to heaven, and the disciples have some serious questions for him. And in John 16, 12, Jesus says, I still have many things to tell you, and here's the key, but you can't handle them now. I don't want to hear that. (laughs) I'm ready for anything, God. Bring it on. Now, he's telling his followers, you're just flat out not ready to hear what I have to tell you. When you're ready, I'll be glad to bring the next lesson into your life but you've not learned the lessons that I've already taught you. Apply those, then we'll move on. See, this is like the remedial class. And I'm in the remedial class, you know, the real slow learners class. God waits until you obey what he's already told you to do before you get to move into the next section. God says, I'm moving just as fast in your life as you will allow me to move. When you're ready for that next lesson, then I'll bring that next lesson. So, here's the question we got to ask ourselves. Have I obeyed everything that God's already told me to do? And before you answer that, let me give you another example from Scripture. One day, a young man comes up to Jesus and he asks the question, Teacher, what must I do to receive to have eternal life? Jesus was like, well, follow the commands. And so this dude was sharp. All, all Jewish children were raised up to know the commands. They, they knew the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. They knew this stuff. And so he knew the commands. And it should have been enough for the guy. Just try to follow the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were actually given to us to show us that we can't follow commandments, that we need grace, that we need a Savior. But, but this wasn't enough. This guy, he, uh, he did the right thing by asking the right person the right question but the problem was he didn't think about the answer. Jesus like, follow the commands. And so this guy's like, well, which ones? He wanted to look good in front of everybody else. So he's like, which commands? So here's Jesus says, um, I just think of, of everybody sitting around who's been out hanging out with Jesus for all this time. And they're like, oh, dude, don't go there. Just take the first thing, the commands, think through those. You're not doing that. But he's like, which command? So Jesus says, oh, um, uh, let's see. Oh, the basic ones, you know, don't murder. He's probably safe there. Don't commit adultery. Of course, if you've heard any of Jesus teaching, he says, if you think upon another woman, you lust after her, you committed adultery in your heart. Ah, he probably failed that one. But just for, we'll keep going. Don't steal. Well, he's thinking, I have not stolen anything. Don't lie. I have integrity. Honor your father and mother. And then love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, that should have been enough. Any, any of us that really think about it, we're going to go, okay, maybe I've got a couple of points off there. Maybe I should back off. Now, I believe Jesus was giving this guy room to evaluate himself, but without even thinking, the guy's like, yeah, yeah, I've done all that. What next? I'm going, oh. I just see his followers going, oh, you've done it now. You are so going to get wasted. And so the gloves are off, and Jesus exposes the guy, and he says in Matthew 19, 21 and 22, Jesus replied, go sell your possessions, give everything to the poor, All your wealth will then be in heaven, then come follow me. Look what 22 says. That was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he couldn't bear to let go. Have you really obeyed everything that God's told you? See, if you're not reading the Bible, there's no way you can know what God's told you. (laughs) You can't obey what you don't know, and maybe you need to get into the Bible. And sometimes we're holding on to things that we know God has told us to, to get rid of. Back when I was uh, in Austin, um, we had this guy that would pray. And he would say Heavenly Father like nine million times. And, and I really had to work when he was praying not to count because all of the teenagers in my youth group were counting. And they'd come up and they'd say, that was a 15 Heavenly Father prayer. That's a short one. You know, really spiritual stuff that I was dealing with my teenagers. And, uh, but this guy would always say, every time, you, would, you knew it was coming. And his children, they were my age. Um, so they'd they'd grown up, they were still in the church, they said every prayer they can ever remember their father praying, he would always say, Father, forgive us of our sins of omission and commission. And what that means is, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's an omission sin. You've not done what you should have done. Commission is you did something you weren't supposed to do. So he would always pray omission and, and commission. And so here's the thing. Have you done everything that God's told you to do? Have you been obedient to everything that God has told you to do? Many times we are holding on to stuff, sometimes bad stuff that we know we're supposed to get rid of and it's just too comfortable. We don't want to let go of it. Sometimes we're holding on to good stuff that's not necessarily bad. It's just not necessary. Like we said earlier, you will never grow in your relationship with God. You will never get into the success cycle until you let go of your past, until you obey what God's already told you to do. Change, conflict, growth. That's how it goes. Now, let me just pause here. If you've got a child that, that's going to be dedicated today and, and, uh, and they're not up here with you, go ahead and, and, and sneak out on a wooden floor. Sneak out. <laughs> you will begin to grow when you obey what God has shown you, because then God says, I can trust you and I can give you more. Now, here's the deal. God is much more interested in your relationship with Him than He is in what job you have. God's much more interested in our church having a relationship with Him and depending on Him than in what building we meet in. God's much more interested in you than how much money you have in the bank, um, than really any of your problems in the past. I know those of you here last week, we showed the video and, and the whole message from the Father to the Son was, there's nothing you can ever do that will make me love you any less. And so God's saying, I love you regardless of your past. I'm much more interested in your future than your past. But if you want me, God is saying, if you want me to be more involved in your future, you've got to obey what I've already told you to do. Because I only give more to those that I can trust. And the way we demonstrate that God can trust us is through our actions, is through obedience. Jesus even said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. So he equates obedience with love. And a lot of times, if we look at it, we got to admit that our lives are not very loving towards God because we just flat out turn up our noses at what He tells us to do. So, when we die, we don't get to take our job, our money, our possessions. We don't get to take that stuff with us to heaven. The only thing we get to take to heaven is our character. So God has decided that He will spend whatever lifetime we have He's going to spend that lifetime molding us and shaping us so that our character that gets to spend eternity with him, if you're a child of God, if you're not, then, then you've got some serious issues you need to work through. But he works to mold and shape you so that your character, that part of you that's going to live forever, looks as much like Jesus as possible. So what we've got to do is we've got to spend... Our time asking the right people the right questions so that we get the right answers. And then we'll get on the success cycle. And I want to be there. And I I kind of think you do too. Now, I want you to take your registration cards and fill those out real quickly.